0: a beautiful alabaster jar of perfume at your feet. Thank you, God, uh, for the fragrance that she is in our lives and in the city and everywhere that she um, ministers and works. God, we pray that you would anoint her words and that you'd also anoint our ears to hear what you want to say to us and through Jess. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. thank Just in case I need to pace. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Get myself organized. So just before we start, um, let's just all close our eyes for a minute. My mom likes to say, let's presence ourselves with the Lord, which I really like. So if you just close your eyes, we're just going to presence ourselves with the Lord. We're just going to... Take away all those distractions and just focus in and invite His presence to be with us. Great. Okay, well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jesse, and um, I actually found Signal Church about 12 years ago. I had had this encounter with God, I wasn't walking with Him at the time, and I just had this experience of feeling like this cloud came over me. I didn't know what it was. I didn't really have language for it, but I knew it was God. And He really spoke to me in my spirit in that moment. And so I thought, I'd better go and find a church. So I started wandering around Cape Town, so sitting in the backs of churches like a proper lurker, just waiting to see if the cloud was there. <laughs> because I didn't know what else to look for. I just knew that God was in the cloud and I needed to find the cloud. And so sat in the backs of lots of churches and eventually I found this funny little garage with 12 people that were very, very cool and it was quite intimidating and I just went and like sat in the back there. Um, and I felt the cloud. And that's obviously not to say that the presence is not in all the other churches in Cape Town, but I knew that I'd found my home and I'd found a space where I could really encounter God and that was so precious to me. And since then I've traveled, I've gone to America for three years. I've been in the UK for four years, and I came back on holiday in December 2020 for six weeks, and here I still am. So, haven't figured out the next part of that story yet, but but now I'm back in this community, and it's just so precious. And um, who was on camp? Raise a hand if you were on camp. Yeah, we had such an amazing time. Um, and we just felt such a momentum on you know four or five of us spoke on the church's values we had amazing time just going after the holy spirit together and i loved it and i know that for those of you that weren't there the lord really wants to release all of that to you this morning as well so raise your expectation to to receive what was released on the camp and um yeah it's going to be a, a good morning so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you will know that we are in a series called Down to the Cross. So Teryn gave us this beautiful teaching last week on Mary of Bethany who poured out the perfume on Jesus' feet to anoint him for his burial. And next week, or in the coming weeks, we're actually going to look at Jesus' death and resurrection. And then in the middle of that, we've got this moment Where Jesus gathers all of his disciples together. He goes through great pains to make sure that he gets everything right. This beautiful uninterrupted space sets up this amazing feast. And he knows that this is his last time where without any other interruptions, he can just sit with his best, best friends and he can impart to them all the last final things he wants to say. And that's the Last Supper. So we're going to camp in the chapter of the Last Supper today. And I think as much as he wanted to release his final teaching to them, I believe that what Jesus also wants to do was he wanted to help prepare his disciples for what was about to happen. Because even if they, even if they knew, even if they were, you know, had picked up from the scriptures or his teaching that, that he was going to die on the cross, nobody can be prepared for the tragedy of watching one of your closest friends die like that. And I believe that he just wanted to give them a picture of he already knew. He knew that it was for the joy set before him that he was going to endure the cross. But they didn't know that yet. So he wanted to bring them into that much bigger story, that much greater story, and say, don't worry, I've got an amazing, amazing plan. This is going to be so, so good. And it's going to be so good that I've decided that it was worth it. And I want to bring you into that to actually to, to decide that it's worth it. And ultimately what he was asking for from the disciples in that moment was, will you give me a yes as well? Because it also cost them something. It also cost them something to watch him. And they got to participate in that faith story and go, I say yes to this, it's going to hurt. This is going to be hard. But I say yes to this because God knows where we're going. And I know for each of us today, there's things in our lives that are happening. There's things that happen that we don't understand. We have to walk through hard things. But God has a bigger story and he's looking for that yes from us that goes, I don't understand always, but I give you that full yes because I know that you've got a greater story and that you're holding my life in your hands. So we're going to read through the last supper. We're going to have a little bit of a look of what is this new covenant that was released in the Last Supper? What is this, this meal, the Last Supper, the, the bread and the wine? What was God trying to impart? What was He trying to tell us? What did Jesus want them to know? And what does He want us to know? So we'll look at the symbolism. Why was it important to them? Then we're going to jump into the present. Why is it important for us? Why should this matter to us? And then finally, we're just going to land on how do we take hold of this more fully? Because some of us here, we've already heard the story a hundred times. Some of us have studied theology, Some of us have, this is the first time we're hearing it, but for all of us, there's these multiple layers. All of us are still discovering the depths of that new covenant, the depths of the new covenant life that God has invited us into in this act of Jesus. So wherever you're at, let's go a little bit deeper. Okay, let's read the passage. I'm going to read it through from the Last Supper, uh, Mark 14, verse 12 to 26. And then we're going to camp out in the actual last supper part. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house who enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. When they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me they were saddened and one by one they said to him surely you don't mean me it is one of the twelve he replied one who dips bread into the bowl with me the son of man will go just as it is written about him but woe to that man who betrays the son of man it would be better for him if he had not been born while they were eating jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So that's obviously the Last Supper. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So let's have a quick look at why, why would that symbolism have been important. So to start off with, what is a covenant? Covenant is not, it's not, a, not a word we sort of use in everyday conversation unless maybe we're a lawyer. Um, so I think they do still use it in law and we sometimes talk about it in marriage. But, but basically a covenant is just, it's an agreement about how two parties are going to relate to each other. And the Jews at that time were relating to God by the covenant of Sinai, the covenant of Moses, which is what we call the law. And the law was basically a list of all of these instructions, and if you do them, you are blessed, and if you don't do them, you are cursed. So it's quite simple, do the right thing, and then you're okay, and if you don't, then unfortunately you are separated from God or you're unclean. And they're also in the context of the Passover Supper. So the Passover, they are celebrating their greatest act of the greatest story of freedom that they have. So most of you, if you were in Sunday school or maybe you watched the Disney movie, you will know that the, the, the Israelites were set free by Moses out of Egypt. They were under Pharaoh and Moses led them out into the wilderness. The Red Sea parted, the manna came down and fed them by day and the pillar of fire led them by night. And they had this amazing um, exodus out of Egypt And into the promised land so the celebrating the Passover they would prepare the meal exactly like the, the, the Hebrews had prepared it that night they would get the lamb and the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread and they would commemorate this amazing act of God So when Jesus comes and he gives them this new supper, this new symbolism, and this new meal, he is saying to them, I'm going to give you something. You had this phenomenal freedom story over here, and I'm about to release to you the full freedom story, the ultimate freedom story. So how do we know that this is still important for us today? Well, it doesn't actually say this in Mark, but in Luke's gospel, in his story of his account of the same story, and also in 1 Corinthians, we're told to keep eating this meal until Jesus comes back. We keep having the bread, and we keep having the wine, because God wants us to know that this is really important for us as well. So why is it important? What is this new covenant? Well, the main thing about this new covenant is what Jesus is trying to say is, I'm giving you my body. So back in the Old Testament, covenants were sealed by the guarantee of blood. So they'd sacrifice an animal, that would drip the blood, and that would be the guarantee of the covenant. So imagine how those disciples must have felt when Jesus says, I'm giving you my blood. My blood is going to be the guarantee of this covenant. And I'm giving you my body so that I can actually take you into my life. And you get to be part of my life. Now that's such a mind-blowing concept to try and Understand how do we fully partake of Jesus' life? What does it mean to fully partake of Jesus' life? So he releases full forgiveness of sins, he gives us the inner transformation of the Holy Spirit. But the main thing that we got from this covenant is Jesus Himself. He gives us this new way of relating to God. So back then Moses had to go up onto the mountain and he had to talk to God. And then he'd come back down and he'd tell the, the people what God had said. But in this new covenant, we get to go straight to God. We get to go straight into the throne room of God ourselves and speak directly to Him. And actually, Jeremiah prophesied this. I'm going to read it to you. So in Jeremiah 31:33, he says, This is the covenant I will make with Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So it's not being written on tablets anymore. It's actually in us. It's written on our hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will all know me from the least to the greatest. So good news, you don't have to do anything to deserve to be known by God and to know him anymore. We go straight to him. We love to quote John 3.16 in church, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that none should perish, but all should have eternal life. But how often do we look at John 17.3, which actually defines eternal life? Now this is eternal life, it says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent. That is to have eternal life, is to know Jesus. So in our freedom story, the promised land isn't a geographical place anymore. The promised land is Jesus himself, and we're always taking steps to move closer to Jesus. So in my own story, I know I was telling you a little bit about my cloud experience. And basically what happened there was I was sitting in my room and I was actually very aware that I was living in slavery. I didn't have that language for it, but I knew that my life was small. I knew that I, I had, I had such bad anxiety. I had such bad, sort of psycho agoraphobia type thing i couldn 't I really struggled to leave the house. I really struggled to be in big rooms with people i didn 't like using the phone. I had all kinds of weird fears and anxieties about things and and when you live like that, when you live in in that fear based life, your life is small, and your life is focused on survival and it 's focused on hiding it 's not focused on living it 's not wide open and so when when God came to me in this sort of cloud and I felt the presence, and I could just feel this voice in my heart that said, I have another way, and I want to show you who you are, and I want to show you the kind of life that you can live, and I said yes, <laughs> absolutely, and then I did a lot of weird things that um, just from my, what I did know about church, I thought I had to do, like I, I wrote down all of my sins that I felt I'd ever committed in my whole life, anytime I'd ever told a lie or done anything. And then I went and took a whole bunch of books off my shelf that I thought might be a bit too New Age for God and um, put them in the bin in this big act of I am now the Lord's. And who knows if I needed to do those things. But what I know is that I had a, a yes in my heart that was so big and so complete that God could then walk me out of that place of slavery and into a place of freedom. And that takes time. That's ongoing. And that yes, actually, that we give to Him in the beginning, that's only the first yes. We give Him a yes in the beginning and then we spend the rest of our lives going yes again, yes again. There's always an opportunity to keep saying yes. So how do we take hold of it? How do we take hold of this new covenant that Jesus has given us? There's there's just... There's just this, this thing of choice that He gave us. Because love only exists in freedom. And... You know, the truth is that those Israelites left Egypt and they actually never entered the promised land. They never got there. And they didn't get there because they had unbelief in their hearts. So they let their experiences and what was happening to them in the wilderness and their expectations that weren't met diminish their view of God. There's this great definition of unbelief that says... um, Unbelief is believing a lie about who God is or who you are. And I love that because it's so easy. It's so easy to do that. You know, we look at them and we go, but you had, you had manna and you had the pillar of fire and you had the Red Sea part. But what about us? We have the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every single person in here has a testimony of what God has done. And it was so easily fall into that place of unbelief again. So if Jesus in this new freedom story, this new covenant is the promised land, then unbelief is the wilderness. And we all have a choice. Do we go round and round and round doubting who is God and who am I, who is God and who am I and is he good and am I enough? Or do we take hold of God is good and I'm going to stand on that and I am enough and I'm going to keep declaring it until I feel it. And that's completely up to us. Hebrews 3.12 warns us, make sure there is not unbelief in your heart because it will distance you from the Lord and it will lead you astray. And that's actually quite an easy concept to understand. If we, if we, if we start thinking, oh, maybe God isn't good, then we will actually move away from Him. He never moves away from us. Never. But we move away from Him. So if, if I'm in a friendship with B. And me and Fee are having a great time, and we, we're bonding, and we're chatting about stuff, and I feel really close to her, and I feel like, oh, Fee really has my best interests at heart. Then I'm going to share everything with Fee. But if, Fee, if I get this sort of feeling like, oh well, I don't think she might be talking behind my back. She might actually not have my best interests at heart. If I get just a little inkling that maybe she doesn't have the best for me anymore, The first thing, what are you going to do? You're going to distance yourself from that person. Just take a bit of space and you go, oh, we'll just see. And that's what we do with God as well. And it's the worst possible thing that we can do in that moment. It's actually, there's a real gift in having that choice. Because There's always going to be situations in that we don't understand. There's always going to be moments where we're disappointed and expectations that aren't met and things that are happening that are confusing. But it's only in this life that we get to give God our faith. We get to give Him our yes, even when we're not feeling it and even when we're not sure. And it's only faith that pleases Him. So if it's faith that pleases God and it's the one thing we can give Him now, you know, one day you're going to get to heaven, we all are, and it's going to be so easy. We're going to go, oh my gosh. We're just going to worship, and we're just going to know that he had this amazing, great story, just like he had on the cross. He's got the story to impart to us, and we're going to see the full picture of that. But there's something really beautiful we can give him now, before we have that whole picture. Before it's all clear, we get to give him the gift of trusting him before we see it all. And do you know that there's a verse in the Bible, and I'm sorry I didn't look it up because I didn't think of it, but... Um, that says the angels are watching and they are in awe and they're jealous of the fact that we get to get to give God the, our, our worship out of freedom, out of choice. We get to give that to Him. They don't have that privilege. We're the only ones that get to give that gift to the Lord. This is your one chance to offer it. Life is short. What can we give God now? And then the other, the other part of unbelief is we don't believe in who we are. So there's this transformative indwelling of the Holy Spirit happening in you all the time. And He's trying to tell you, He's trying to reveal to you your Christ-likeness. And He's trying to reveal to you the perfect picture that you are of a piece of God. Mm. That you have an original design. That He formed you in your mother's womb and you are perfect the way He made you. And He wants to reveal that to you in greater measure all the time. But we have to take hold of that for ourselves. There's a um, a verse in Numbers that tells us about how uh, Caleb and Joshua went into the, they went into the, no they all went into, the the spies were sent out into the promised land to try and see like, oh can we take them? And they were the giants. And it says they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own eyes and so the giants saw them that way too. So isn't that a really powerful picture? That's how they saw themselves, and therefore that's how they were seen. That wasn't true about who they were. God had already already given them the land. He was planning to defeat every enemy that could ever think to come across them. They had everything in them to claim that space, but they saw themselves as small, and therefore they were seen as small, and therefore they actually didn't enter in. So it's really important how you see yourself. When I went to... um, I went to a ministry school for three years, and then I got it in my head that I wanted to do a sociology masters, because I thought, well, you know, we've got a disciple nation, so let's go to the place where they're already doing that, you know? And, and it, was such a, it was such a different environment, to put it lightly. Sociology is a very um, un- anti-Christian place. It it's actually was set up in opposition to Christianity as a discipline, so the spirit over it is very, very secular. And not very welcoming to Christians and so I found that all of my opinions were not very welcome and that people there wasn't space You know universities are supposed to be a space where there's room for debate and room to to talk about your opinions but my opinion definitely was not welcome in that debate and I started to feel feel myself get silenced and I became so scared to speak up in any of the seminars because I was thinking well You know, I don't want to have everyone screaming at me that I'm wrong and ignorant and whatever else And I felt like the Lord said, if you let your voice be silenced now, you're coming into agreement with something that's not who you are. And so I started but I was I was terrified. So I'd go into these seminars and for me, victory looked like just say anything. And I can tell you I said some stupid things. (laughs) But my whole goal in every single seminar was like, just say something. Just say something. So and there were quite a few times where I'd say something and everyone would look at me blankly because it didn't even make sense. Because you know, when you, you're in fear and anxiety, you actually can't think. It's like all the you, you think, I'm actually quite an intelligent person, but none of that intelligence is accessible to me right now. <laughs> so, you know, just blurt out something and everyone would kind of be like, mm, and then just carry on. <laughs> but I knew That what I was doing was making an agreement in the Spirit with, I have a voice, and I have a voice in this space. And I think think all of us have moments like that, where we're in a situation and we have to come into agreement with who we are. So I actually want to stop there and just go into a little bit of a ministry time. Because I felt like the Lord really wanted to speak to people who are feeling that at the moment. One of those two things. Either you're feeling, I've got something in front of me and I need to be brought into that bigger picture. I need God's perspective on it and I want to choose faith, even in the midst of it being really hard. Or you are facing something where you know that there's more in you and you need to stand up for your voice. And... And that's just been really hard, and you've made another agreement, and we're gonna switch that agreement around. So I'm just gonna invite us to stand, and maybe James will come and play for us a little bit. And maybe just close your eyes, uh, because I wanna give people a chance to respond, but I just, it's sometimes hard to do it in front of everyone. So if, if either of those spoke to you, if you're in a situation at the moment where you're confused and you've maybe left disappointment with Lord because something hasn't happened the way that you thought it was meant to to um, just steal a little bit from you and distance yourself from God, won't you raise your hand? Or Maybe you're in a situation where you know who you are, but you've, you've made other agreements. You haven't spoken up where you were meant to speak up. You haven't applied for the job when you were meant to apply for the job. You haven't, you've been agreeing with a lesser version of who you are. Won't you raise your hand as well? Dave sent a word um, to our prayer group earlier that so I just want to read out. And then we're going to pray. He said that God is declaring that he is our sentinel. He is the one who is and has been standing guard and keeping watch over our lives, our dreams, our desires, and the promises he has declared over us. So God, we just, we just break all agreements, known or unknown, with the lie that you are not good. And we come into agreement with the truth that you have an amazing story at play and we're all part of it for our individual lives and for all of us together that you have a plan, you have a purpose, that you have not left us, that you've never left us. And just because we can't see the end yet doesn't mean it's not the end. And so, God, I just pray that in all of those places in our heart that are distance from you, that you would just give us a grace now to lean in again. Lord, we just recognize that eternal life is you. Eternal life is knowing you. So when things are tough, from this day forward, we will lean in and not out. We will move towards you and not away from you. We will trust you. We will give you what you're worth. And we will move towards you. And we trust you, God. We trust you. We trust you. And I just feel like he's saying it doesn't matter if you're not feeling it. It doesn't matter if you're still feeling disappointed. It doesn't matter if you're still feeling like um, you're not sure, you're confused, or like things are not going to work out. I feel like he's saying your feelings, they're not irrelevant to him. He cares about your feelings, but they're irrelevant to your choice. So your power is spiritual agreement. It is your choice. So your power is going, I don't understand, but I say yes to you anyway. I give you that yes. And actually, when you're not feeling it and you say yes anyway, that is a much greater demonstration of faith than when you're feeling it and you say yes. We can all have an encounter with God and sit on the floor and be in that presence moment and go, oh, yes, God, I give you a yes. But your yes really, really comes when it's hard. Your yes really, really comes when you feel like God steps away from you. And you get to hold on. I know that you're still here. I know that you're going to come through. And God, for each of us in this room that have had moments or are having moments, where we're making agreements with, with less than who you've created us to be, I just speak an upgraded vision of ourselves into each one of our hearts and minds, and you would just do that supernaturally. Would you just lift off our wrong thoughts about who we are, our wrong pictures of how we see ourselves, God, and would you just place on us your blueprint? Would you just replace all of those thoughts? And again, we just break agreements with everything that is not of you that we've thought about ourselves and we come into agreement with who we are in your eyes. Sons and daughters, partakers of your glory and partakers of your very self, Jesus, that you brought us into your life. That we are Christ-like. We are perfect in your eyes. And over each specific situation, God, I just pray that there'd be a strength and a boldness to claim that. that even if it's scary at first, it doesn't matter if it's baby steps, but that we, we would keep agreeing with who we are. And I just wanted to check that there's nobody in this room that's never actually said their first yes to Jesus, because if you're here and you haven't said yes to Jesus for the first time, this is the perfect moment, so you can just raise your hand and someone will come with you. I'm going to invite Tara now. He's going to lead us into communion and it's just going to be a time of taking hold of this new covenant again. Just stay in this place and we're just going to continue on. I know we are in the presence of God and Jesus, sometimes it's lovely to honor one of these kids and a wonderful gift in our community. Should we just honor her? 1 Corinthians, sorry, Mark chapter 14, that's what we just got preached to from. And um, this week I've been reading that, that chapter with I was actually going to preach this message.